Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I wonder if you've ever had that sort of experience where uh, maybe in your professional working life, someone, uh, the boss, the CEO turns up, uh, he's on his you know, yearly visit, uh, and he looks at you or someone in your workplace and says, uh, this is the, the man or the woman for the job, and uh, whatever he or she says goes, because I've got full faith in them, and, and they uh, command my authority when I am absent. Uh, you may not have had such an experience as that, but this idea, I want you to get in your head this idea of uh, acting under the authority of someone else to get the job done. Obviously, in my sort of spare time, uh, I, whatever that is, I uh, do some work with the army, uh, and this is a place where this sort of thing happens all the time where uh, the government gives the army a job, protect Australia, say, and the chief of the army then issues a series of orders as to how he thinks that ought to happen, and then they're issued down uh, the chain to his, uh, pe- the people who work for him, and, and so forth and so forth, until eventually, many, many levels down that chain, uh, we end up with something that we have to do in our little battalion in Tasmania. But we do that... And we fulfil our different jobs, whether it's counting bullets or, in my case, making sure people are okay, uh, or in someone else's case, driving a truck, shooting a rifle, whatever it might be. These things are things that are done uh, as a direct response to, to the orders that have been given from on high that we keep Australia safe. As we saw last week, as we started this series on our convictions... We saw that Jesus Christ is head of the church. He's like the chief of the army. He's the boss. He's the one who everyone has to do what he says. And as such, he's issued his orders, we see today. uh, And his orders are that his church be a disciple-making body. And in order for us to achieve that mission, that task, just as the Defence Force needs its individual members to fulfil their duties well in service of the whole, so too the church needs you and me as individual disciples to think about how we contribute to the disciple-making task of the church that Jesus has given to us. So we're going to be thinking about that today. If you haven't been here or you've forgotten, you'll remember we are in this series uh, where we're looking at our convictions, these truths that inspire us to follow King Jesus. And we heard last week about how convictions are beliefs or principles that we know to be true that ought to drive our actions. They're things that help us navigate what we should and shouldn't do. Convictions are things that correct us when we start doing the wrong thing and guide us back onto the right path. They are truths which we know as Christians uh, are truths that God has revealed and that ought to therefore inspire us as we seek to serve him. 
And back in 2017, the diocese adopted some convictions and at our annual meeting that year, we too adopted the convictions. We said, yes, that looks good. That looks like the kind of thing that should motivate us too. And so we have this set of convictions. There's a picture of the army in case you didn't know what that looked like. Uh, Here they are. Jesus Christ is head of the church. He has sent us to make disciples by word, prayer and service, supported by fruitful, godly leaders, God being our provider and us stewards of his gifts. These five statements, which are actually one long sentence, are meant to be the things that drive how we think about the kind of church we want to be, the kind of church, in fact, that God has called us to be. And we're doing this series on our convictions because we're in that season where our annual meeting's coming up and we've got to make some decisions about the kind of people we want to lead us on parish council. We've got to make some decisions about the kind of ways we want to spend the money God has given us. And so in doing so, isn't it a good idea that we stop in the lead-up to that and think about what what are the deep theological truths that ought to drive our decision-making. Likewise, we do a series on convictions because my hope is that it creates a greater sense of unity amongst us. That though we have many differences, we have a deep unity because we believe, yes, that's right, Jesus is the boss. He sent us to make disciples. These things that we hold to be true, unite us on a deep level and help us to get on together with being a church for Lindisfarne making disciples of Jesus. And we do this series because there's a fair chance that you either have turned up since 2017 or in 2017 you never, you forgot to read the convictions Uh, and so there's not a great sense of ownership of these truths that are driving me when I'm trying to think about how we, I lead us. And so I hope that perhaps they'll drive you as you seek to think about how you serve and lead in this place as well. And that you'll have a sense of ownership of these convictions. We saw last week that Jesus is head of the church. That he's the boss, he's the king. And I encourage you to uh, have a listen to the sermon online if you missed it. Uh, but what I think we established pretty clearly is that this is, a, this is a profound biblical truth. Jesus is head of the church and we exist to serve him. And what we see, and we began to see last week, but we'll, I want us to dive into more deeply now, is that Jesus' authority over the church is used to send us on mission. We see throughout the Gospels, Jesus invoke his authority as he sends his disciples on mission. Uh, And what I think we start to see here is that this is a, a revelation of our purpose, that Jesus has called us here to be people who proclaim the gospel, who tell people the good news about Jesus. Let me take a look at uh, just a couple of places where Jesus uses his authority, his, his lordship, his leadership to send the disciples out. First of all, we see in the middle of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, Jesus 
does some practical training for the disciples. He, he sends them out. Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. As Jesus is about to send the disciples out on this uh, mission, he does so with his authority, which he delegates to them. And as he sends them out, he teaches them before they go. So from verses 5 through 42 of Matthew 10, there's this big, long section of Jesus teaching the disciples what they should expect as they go on mission. That they're going to expect people to reject them just as people reject Jesus. And there's heaps we could say about it, but what ultimately we see Jesus delegating his authority to them to be his representatives to proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed. Verse 7, Jesus says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Proclaim the good news about Jesus and do so with my authority. Jesus invokes his, his authority. He gives it to the disciples and he sends them out to show and tell others the good news of the kingdom through word and deed. So we see Jesus does this in a small way as he's training the disciples while he's on earth. But of course, we see it most clearly that Jesus uses his authority to send the disciples out on mission after his resurrection. And so our reading we had today in Matthew 28, we see Jesus using his authority to send out the disciples. Verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus using again his authority to send the disciples on mission. A disciple-making mission of the nations. And we actually see similar uh, ideas come up uh, in both John's Gospel and in Acts, in, which is uh, part two of Luke's Gospel, uh, as they record these final moments of Jesus with the disciples. As John records it, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection. And in John 20, 21, uh, he says, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Again, the final uh, uh, words of Jesus recorded by John are the sending of the disciples under the authority that Jesus has, that he has from his Father. With the authority I have, Jesus says, uh, I send you into this world. I send you on mission. Again in Acts, in Luke's uh, recounting of the story, uh, the disciples have gathered uh, just before Jesus ascends. And what do we read? Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, Jesus as he ascends into heaven, will uh, give them his authority and power through the sending of the Spirit to go to the ends of the earth to witness, that is to, to tell about all that Jesus has done, beginning in Judea 
then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. They're empowered by Jesus through his spirit to go on a disciple-making mission. I think it's pretty clear, and probably many of you here today are convinced, that Jesus has called his church to be a disciple-making institution. That's why we exist. I was once uh, privileged to hear a guy called Jossie Chaco speak. Uh, And he's a man who has started uh, a church planting ministry in the subcontinent in Asia. And uh, the last I heard, and I couldn't find updated statistics when I looked, but last I heard his organisation was responsible for planting on average one church a day. One church a day. It's like mind-blowing. And uh, he he has dedicated his life to this endeavour of raising up leaders to plant churches, to make disciples. And he was reflecting, as I was listening to him speak uh, this time, uh, about the purpose of the church and the individual Christian. And 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 he spoke like this. He said, how come it is when someone becomes a Christian... God doesn't uh, sort of beam them straight up to heaven Star Trek style. You know, there's not, how come there's not some guy called Scotty in heaven who, whenever you put your faith in Jesus, doesn't just press a button and up you go? He's like, because surely that would be better for you. Like, you believe in Jesus and then, boom, you escape this world of pain and sin and death and disappointment. Well, he says... That's not what happens. So there must be a reason why that doesn't happen. And his answer, which I'm fairly convinced by as I look at those final words of Jesus in in, uh, the Gospels, is that we're left here for one reason and one reason alone. To make disciples. Because for whatever reason... Jesus' good and perfect plan for you and me as part of the church is that we would be people who tell the story of Jesus, who witness to his name, who are disciples who make disciples. Jesus Christ is head of the church and he has sent us to make disciples. If we're convinced of that, then... Uh, we need to ask some uh, definitional questions first, don't we? First of all, what is a disciple? I think that's a fairly important question. Well, Paul, in our first reading, gives us a nice definition, doesn't he, of what we're talking about here. What is it that Jesus wants? He wants people who believe in their hearts that he was raised from the dead and who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A disciple is someone who has had both their head and their heart transformed. That's what I see going on in Romans 10.9. That is, uh, they know the truth. Jesus is Lord and they're willing to say that out loud. But not only that, they've had their heart transformed. They believe it in their heart. They know Jesus is really alive, that he's been raised from the dead and that his death brought salvation to those who believe and declare. A disciple is someone 
who is willing to publicly profess faith in the Lordship of Christ because they've had their heart changed. If you believe in your heart that Jesus really is alive, that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and that he died for your sins and you're willing to say that out loud even in 2019 when it might cost you shame, you're a disciple. Your head and heart have been transformed and you're called into this disciple-making business as a disciple. Which begs us, uh, I think, the next question. Well, who else can be a disciple? Who is it that's qualified? Who should we be looking at as we seek to go on this disciple-making mission? Well, Paul gives us an answer again in Romans chapter 10, doesn't he? Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a message for all. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've succeeded or failed at life, whether you're religious or not. Everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The offer of discipleship, of following Jesus, is available to anyone as a free gift. And so we're called to go to all people and tell them this good news that they too can experience new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. So, Paul continues by telling us what we should be seeking as disciples who've received this good news. Verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We are called by Jesus. And Paul's just uh, applying that here to make disciples. To go and to tell so that they can believe in the one that they have heard about. So that they can hear this good news. Jesus has sent us to make disciples by telling people the good news. He wants us to have beautiful feet. as we bring the the transforming news of Jesus Christ to bear on the lives of those whom we come into contact with. I hope that you are convinced by this conviction that the reason that you exist, that the reason why you're still on this earth is to serve Christ as your Lord by being involved in this disciple-making process. And if you are convinced, then that ought to change the way you do life. Because if Jesus Christ is head of the church and he sent you and I to make disciples, then this changes our priorities. It changes the main aim. 
It's not to have a couple of kids in a nice house and enjoy a comfortable retirement travelling. That's not the main aim. That might be what everyone else is aiming at. But our aim is at disciple-making. We heard last week some of the ways Jesus being head of the church ought to change the way we think about that. But what does the fact that Jesus has called us to be disciples who make disciples mean for us today? I think there's uh, a few things that I want to reflect on for us. First of all, if it is true that Jesus has called you to make disciples, then that means, I think, that there are people in your life right now who you can disciple. You might think that's not possible. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. But I think actually that if you think hard about it, there will be someone who's not quite as far along the journey as you are, who may not even yet know the Lord Jesus. And that's where the disciple-making process ultimately begins, isn't it? In inviting them into the kingdom whom you can share some of your life with, share some of what you do know and help them take a step along their journey of faith. There are people in your life who you can disciple, who God has placed there for you to invest in. I don't know who that is. Maybe that's your neighbour. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's your child. Maybe that's your work colleague. Maybe it's someone that you come to church with. Maybe it's the person you're sitting next to today. Maybe it's the person you'll share a cuppa with after church today. Uh, Maybe it's someone you're in the Bible study with. Whoever it may be, I think all of us can help others in their walk with God. And that's what disciple-making is. It's, It's helping people become more like Jesus. You think, okay, how on earth would I do that? If that's true, and there's someone I can disciple, how, how, how can I do that? Well, this is no, by no means an exhaustive list, but I think the first step would be to pray for them. Start praying for people who you think God might have placed in your life to disciple. Pray for them to grow in their faith. Pray for opportunities to share your faith with them. And then, maybe you want to take it to the next level. Maybe you want to invite someone to begin reading the Bible with you, catch up for a coffee. Start in the Gospel. One of the Gospels and just read the story of Jesus and talk about what this means for your life and their life. I once heard a pastor of a large church in Melbourne say that he saw... Tens of people, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about how many people are becoming Christians in Australia, Australian people becoming Christians, he saw a significant movement. There was, you know, tens of people, like, you know, like 20, 30 people a year were getting baptised simply because people in his church were inviting others to read the Bible with them. People they knew on, saw on the streets, people they had some interaction with, people they might have known for a long time. Hey, you know what? 
He would get his people to say, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with me. I'm wondering if you might be interested. Can you help me out? Was the invitation that he encouraged his people to give to those they were seeking to disciple. And people would say, sure, yeah, I'll read the Bible with you. I've never read that before. That sounds interesting. And these people would be discipled by God's word as they just let the Bible speak for itself. So we can pray, we can read the Bible, but also we can teach others how to serve. You might be someone here who leads a Bible study, you might help on the roster in some way. Maybe you can teach someone else to do the job that you do. And that's another way of discipling them and helping them to serve the church as we collectively seek to be a disciple-making organisation. Ultimately, let me encourage you at least to simply ask God who it is that he might be calling you to disciple, who he might be calling you to help in their faith. And if you, and, and if you think you know who that might be, but you've still got no idea what to do, come and have a coffee with me and we can try and figure out what you do next. There are people in your life who you can disciple The flip side of that is also true. Jesus has sent us to make disciples and there's people you can disciple. Then there are going to be people in your life who can disciple you. There are going to be people in this church who you look up to who can help you grow as a Christian. And hopefully after today, they might come up to you and say, hey, I've just been thinking that maybe I can help you grow as a Christian. But maybe they won't. And maybe you need to show some initiative and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I really admire you. You seem to be a little bit further along. Can we hang out? Can we read the Bible together? Can I pray with you? Think of those people who you know have, uh, and you look up to because of their faith and how evident it seems in their life, uh, who inspire you with their godliness and ask them, to help you in yours. They might not be able to give you a lot of time, but they might be able to give you some. There are people in your life who can disciple you. I wonder if you can think of a few who have or a few who you'd like to be more involved in that process. Finally, as a church family... We need to be strategic in how we enable the process of disciple-making. If Jesus has called us to do that, then we need to do that well. I think there's a few things that we can say about that. The first is that that means we all need to take seriously our individual responsibility for discipling others. If we look at the model of Jesus, he discipled 12 guys who discipled more, who discipled more, who discipled more, and on and on went this disciple-making movement that is the church that we know today. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people because Jesus invested and discipled 12 men. We too need to be strategic in the way we invest in others, and we need to just remember that 
I'm not going to be necessarily the key disciple for each and every person who's here today. I hope that this sermon's helping you and I hope that I will be able to help you. Uh, But if we're all relying on Chris to be your number one disciple maker, that's not strategic. It's not a strategic use of the gifts that God's given all of you. And it's not anything like the model that we get from Jesus, which is this model of multiplication and investment in the few. If we want to be a church that grows, it's going to have to be a team effort. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we need to think strategically about what we do as a church. And that's what our pathways strategy is all about. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, again, I refer you to that booklet that's got the convictions in it. And if you haven't got one, I think there are some out there. If there's not, I'll email you one during the week if you've never uh, read one. But that pathways process, which I think I've got a picture of here somewhere. Let's see. Oh, look at that. I could have been showing you nice slides this whole time. Hey, there we go. This process, starting at the bottom there through to the top, of uh, having someone who's a potential contact who knows nothing of Jesus and the church, going all the way through that process to being someone who ultimately can lead others in ministry, we're seeking to, to be strategic in the way we do each of those steps as a church so that we can disciple more people. Come and talk to me afterwards if you want to know more. But if we're going to be strategic like that, we need each of us to do the things that God has gifted us in so that you can serve this church as it seeks to grow disciples of Jesus. All of us have a role to play in this process. Serving in church, serving on rosters, serving in our ministries, helping the gospel change lives through the proclamation of Jesus. Well, we've seen today that Jesus wants us to be disciples who make disciples and hopefully we've been challenged. Challenged to think about who it is that we can disciple. Challenged also to perhaps invite others who are a little bit further along to speak into our lives and disciple us. And challenged to think about how we can serve our family, the church, as we seek to be a strategic disciple-making body. Let me finish by asking, what is it that Jesus is asking of you today as you seek to be a disciple who makes disciples? Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you are encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.